Welcome to the Small Baller Podcast. My name is Trevor Reddick, and as always, I'm joined by a man who just golfed yesterday for the first time, something I would like to do as well. His name is Brandon Siegel. How are you doing? I'm doing well, so I didn't fully golf. I, I went to the range for the first time in quite a while, um, and I thoroughly enjoy golfing. Um, my One of my best friends, Aaron Weaver, who uh, another Small Ballers podcast, uh, the Soul Focus podcast, that's who I do it with. Uh, he's one of the best golfers that I've ever seen, um, and he's getting me back out there, um, and we're gonna we're gonna go some more, uh, I think, coming up here. But yeah, so I hit the range for the first time probably like ten months or something, eleven months. Um, it's been quite a while, um, and you know what? It, it was great to be back. I'm a little bit sore. I haven't used those muscles in around a year or so, ten months, whatever it is. Um, so you know, a little bit sore, but I think it'll be all right. But we also have our favorite contributor, a man who is golfing quite a lot. He just said he golfed four or five times this week. We have Ben O'Brien here. Ben, was it four or five times this uh, past week? It was four. I golfed four times in seven days. Um, my bank account was struggling a little bit, but it was fun. I, I try to golf as much as I can, especially in the summer when I have more time. Um, it's just fun to be outside. It's fun. I love. I just love being with my friends and being outside. It's, it's something fun to do in the summer for sure. Of course. And, you know, Ben – one of these days, very soon here, I'm going to uh, I'm going to beat you pretty badly at golf. But you know what? That's down the line. Um, we'll, we'll see about that. But we have a fun episode planned today, as always. Um, so, Trevor, let's just get right into it. Let's start it off. What's our what we got? First topic Cam uh, we Newton. have up today. We have Cam Cam Newton going to the Patriots. This literally happened right after our episode aired. And uh, Aaron, who I just talked about, who was our special guest last week, literally was talking to me. He's like, "I wish that happened two hours ago because it would have been fun to talk about." Yep. Um, but Cam Newton is officially to the Patriots. Trevor, what is your feelings about this? Yeah, so um, it's interesting because before they before the Patriots got Cam Newton, I think the Patriots were probably going to be relatively mediocre, like along the lines of a seven and nine, maybe eight and eight. I think Cam Newton definitely makes this offense a little more intriguing because um, it's something that the Patriots, obviously, the way their offense has been formulated for so long, um, it's been you know formulated around Tom Brady. And, um, you know, uh, like a lot of different good wide receivers that he's had in the past, you know, like the late 2000s and early 2010s. And then like last year, we actually got we got closer back to this running style that the Patriots had in the early 2000s and 90s. And now it seems like uh, they're probably going to really fully get back to that this coming year with Cam. Uh, and Sony Michelle, obviously the receiving core is kind of weak for the Patriots, and they don't really have any uh, good tight ends. It's really like, young guys that they're trying to get up to speed. But I think it's definitely intriguing. I mean, Cam Newton, they got him for so low. I mean, I, I there's so many other teams that could have used Cam Newton that decided not to sign him, and instead they, they're, they're stuck with some of these mediocre quarterbacks that they had really um, just I, – I don't know why some of these other NFL teams didn't decide to get Cam, but nevertheless – uh, the Patriots get him for just such a, you know, so much less amount of money than he probably should have gotten. Um, I think he'll make them, obviously, better. Will they be a playoff team? I think they definitely have a good chance. I think it'll be close. Um, so without him, I think they were maybe 7-9. I think with them, they're around that 10-6 and six range. So it'll be interesting to see. So I think uh, that is an incredibly optimistic prediction. Uh, Cam Newton's good. I like Cam Newton. They got him for a good amount. I think teams passed up on him uh, because you kind of have to change your offense. We talked about this before the podcast, uh, before we started the episode. You, it's the same thing with why people passed up on Lamar. Um, it's not that you know people didn't see the talent. It's just you have to change your whole offense uh, for players, kind of the running quarterback type style, um, you know, who are not these wonderful throwers. You know, and I, I think the Patriots. This is a step in the right direction, but it's not a three or four win step in the right direction. I still see them going around 500, you know, maybe a 9-7. 10 wins, I think, is incredibly optimistic. But most likely, I still see them at a 7-9, 8-8. I think their offense has too many issues still um, that need to be addressed. Their receivers, or any, I guess their pass catchers as a whole, are incredibly poor. Um, their run game's not horrible, but it wasn't impressive this past year. Um, and I, I think, you know, with an aging defense, even though they have a lot of stars on defense, I still don't see this being, you know, the 10-6 and 6 team. The 10 wins is a lot of wins in the NFL, so I don't, I don't see Cam Newton putting them over the top. What I do want to talk about is some teams that passed over him. I think, again, like I said, the reason I think a lot of them passed over is because you have to completely change your offense. But if you're buying a backup quarterback, this is great value. You see a team like the Browns, which I love to just take a crap on all the time because the Browns organization is so bad, signed Case Keenum for three years, $18 million. This upcoming year, okay, he's making $6 million a year. This upcoming year, he's making almost $10 million. 
against the cap, where Cam Newton is $1.75 million against the cap. So I think a complete lack of just horrible judgment by the Browns uh, front office. I know we talk about the Browns a lot. I know we got a lot of Browns fans listening to this podcast. Um, this is a great example of where, you know, Case Keenum's not going to be playing, I don't think. Well, I mean, maybe if Baker, you know, is as bad as he was last year, maybe. But I think, you know, we, we look at the situation where, you know, why not sign a backer quarterback who might not be absolutely perfect for the system, but you save $8, 9000000 million that can be used in plenty of other places um, to sign other, you know, big names. And that's a lot of money in the NFL, especially on a per-year basis, you know, that 8 $9 million. So it's a lot of money for a quarterback who's never really going to hit the, you know, hit the ground. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Cam Newton to the Patriots? Yeah, so I think it's a risk, but I think it's a risk worth taking for the Patriots because, I mean, at his very best, he's a former MVP of the NFL. Um, I mean, in 2015, that season, he was the best player in the National Football League. Um, clearly, he's not anything close to what he was in 2015 these past couple of years. Um, but I, I think it's definitely a risk worth taking because I think by no means are the Patriots going to be a great team this year. I think at the very best, they're going to be a good team. Like, I, I agree with Brandon. Maybe 9-7 and seven is probably their ceiling. Maybe squeak into the playoffs with that extra playoff spot this year. Um, but it's, it's, I'm very interested to see it because – I think we've seen a lot from Cam Newton. He's got a very big personality. I'm very interested to see how he fits into Bill Belichick's system where it's very much focused on you are a part of a bigger goal here. Um, and Cam Newton likes to kind of make things about himself at, himself at times. Um, so I'm very interested to see this relationship. I do think it'll work out. I, I think he is a good quarterback, so I still think he's a very good very good athlete. He's still a good quarterback. Um, I, I think it could work out well. I, by no means are they going to go 10-6, and six, I don't think. But I think... I think they could go 9-7, and seven, probably 8-8 eight and eight is more likely. Um, but I'm definitely excited to see what happens this year with him, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think if they take Cam Newton, and if they were to sign players that are better fit around him, this then I, I could see more of a 10-6, and six, especially with, you know, even though their players are aging on defense, they do still have a lot of big, big playmakers. I mean, Stephon Gilmore, last year's defensive player of the year. So I think it's very odd that 10 wins is a lot of wins in the NFL, especially with the quarterback. It's not like the Panthers were amazing with him last year. And they have more of a tailored auto offense. Obviously, not quite as good overall as the Patriots, um, and that's why you know obviously they'll be better than last year's Panthers. But still, you know I, I think ten six is a little bit optimistic. But let's keep on moving along. Uh, we have Amani Bates. You know, here's the thing. I knew this day was inevitable. Okay, we have Amani Bates, the number one overall player in the class of 2022 uh, for basketball. Five star recruit, six nine, 205, 210 pounds. Um, you know they had to move his high school game, similar to LeBron's. He's from Ypsilanti, Michigan, so they moved his games from his high school over to Eastern Michigan's arena because there's so many fans that want to go. He's supposed to be like the next Kevin Durant, this insane small forward. I knew this day was going to come. He was going to have to go to Michigan State. They were always kind of the leader in his recruitment, and the day has come. So Trevor, what are your thoughts on Monty Bates? I know we talked about going to see him. We never got to go see him. You know, Maybe in the future here we'll, we'll take a trip and go see him, but what, what are your thoughts on uh, Monty Bates, Michigan State? Because to, to say the least, I'm not happy at all (laughs) yeah well that's no surprise I mean this this uh commitment really came out of nowhere um I wasn't really thinking about you know call it any like college basketball players or any kind of commitment so this one came out of nowhere in late June um I think obviously we know Imani Bates is like this great prospect looking at the highlights looking at um all of the things he he's done some people compare him to Kevin Durant he's for sure going to be this great player no matter where he goes where he plays barring injuries so you know we'll see um, I don't think it's a guarantee that he's actually going to go to Michigan State because there are still um, things that are being worked on with the uh, potential ability to eliminate the one and done. Now, it seems like that's being delayed, though, so it, it might not be in effect by the time Imani Bates is out of high school. Now, Imani Bates did say, you know, we see these other players, and we've talked about some of these other players who have gone the G League route now, and it seems like Imani Bates does not want to do that. At least he said that uh, he would probably prefer going to play college basketball over that. So I think that's definitely interesting. And so I I think it's definitely is possible that he goes to Michigan State. I just wouldn't say it's a guarantee. Um, But but for Michigan State fans, I think you you should be excited, obviously, because if he does go there, he'll be amazing for them. And he might even be a player who reclassifies. Currently, he's in the class of 2022, um, and he possibly could reclassify to the class of 2021 if he decides by the end of this high school season that, you know what, 
Um, these guys I'm going against, you know, they can't compete with me. I'm, I'm just so much better than everyone on the floor. Maybe I'll reclassify and go to Michigan State a year early. That's another option that he could do. I think that might potentially be his best option um, if the one-and-done rule isn't in effect or isn't eliminated by the time he comes out, which at this point it seems like it won't be. Yeah, uh, for you Michigan State fans listening, I hate all of you, okay? Everything on Michigan State, I just despise. So now I gotta despise Imani Bates, which I don't even really want to, because I like Imani Bates. Um, I don't think he'll actually go to Michigan State. I think either the one-and-done rule will be intact, or he actually does end up going to the G League. I think he's too big of a talent where I think some G League team or some overseas team's gonna throw him, like, a really big bag, a lot of money, and I think it's just gonna be kind of hard to say no. So I don't think he'll actually end up at Michigan State, and I think we're... We're getting to the era where there'll be two or three players every single year that don't, you know, go to college. Um, as sad as that is for us to see because, you know, we like, you know, watch the college players. Uh, ben, I know you, you probably quite aren't as knowledgeable on Amani Bates. So what are your thoughts on uh, him going to the, the crappy school in Michigan in Ypsilanti? Yeah, so I don't know anything about Amani Bates because I don't really follow recruiting. But you're telling me – I have a question. So you're telling me that he still has two years of high school left. Is that correct? Is that what you guys are saying? Yeah. Class of 2022. Yeah. He's going to be a junior this year. He's 16. And people think that he's, 16. And people think that he's like this stud, right? Yep. That, yeah. That's insane. Yeah. People he think is 16 years old. And, like, I mean, I've obviously I've heard you guys talk about him, so I know he's a big deal. That's insane that he's 16. Um, I mean, if, if he wants to stay home, obviously it makes sense. Why would you not want to go to the best basketball program in the state of Michigan? So, um, <laughs> like I've said before on this podcast many times, oh. um, a better coach, definitely. And on, I'm being serious here, but, like, if his goal is to get to the NBA and he wants to go to college, then I think Tom Izzo probably is the right move if he wants to stay home um, because Tom Izzo obviously has a great track record record of sending people to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also cheating, but, you know, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, we digress. I mean, Michigan State is a better basketball program in general, so. At cheating, um, yes. So I, I, I don't – I mean, like, it is what it is. I don't, really, I don't hate Michigan State at all. I don't hate, I don't hate Michigan or Michigan State, so it is what it is. Um, good for him, I guess. <laughs> so let's keep on moving because we got another really interesting recruit that I'm very excited to talk about. We have McCurr McCurr, um, who I believe is this year, correct? He's he's this year's... Yeah, uh, McCurr Maker. He's class yeah, of 2020. Cycle. Or McCurr Maker, excuse me. Um, and McCurr Maker committed to Howard University and HBCU um, as I, I think a lot of the, the African-American high school recruits are trying to make this drive over the HBCUs, similar to like Mikey Williams. Um, and uh, McCurr Maker is the first one to really make that step over um, and is going to HBCU. He's the first really, really big recruit since like Ben Wallace, uh, Charles Oakley went to Virginia Union. Um, so this is great news. I, I love this. I love that you know the African American players are embracing the HBCUs and going there. And I think it's you know it's it's really really great to see. You know, not just every player is going to Kentucky. You know, he's really trying to write his own story. And for that, I personally applaud him a lot. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. Um, this is definitely an awesome move. I think for Howard and other HBC, HBCU programs. Um, he's the cousin of Detroit Pistons forward Thon Maker, who also, you mm-hmm. know, a very, very tall, very athletic and talented um, player who now plays in the NBA. And, you know, he's, he's playing in high school right now, very efficient, averaging about 15 points and eight rebounds, shooting 73% on two pointers. And he's, he's definitely a very good player. He's actually ranked uh, 16th in the ESPN uh, recruiting rankings currently. So that's crazy that a five-star is going to a program um, like Howard, who really isn't, they really have uh, don't have a history of recruiting these um, high-profile guys. So I think it's definitely great for their program. And I think we will see um, some of these other high-profile caliber players commit to HBCUs. We saw Mikey Williams, who I believe is uh, also class of 2023. Um, so he's going to be a sophomore. He's maybe the best player in that class, or at the very least, uh, one of the top five players in that class. He's also talked about potentially going to HBCU. So it'll be interesting going forward uh, to see what other players do. I think there definitely will be a few others that follow um, McCurr Maker's lead, though. So uh, I think that's great for those programs. Yes, very, very great news. Uh, I'm very happy for for Howard, uh, and I, I think it's a great step in you know, the right direction. And the thing is, is, like, Howard's been competitive in basketball. I think they've had some good seasons recently, and they've been pr- pretty competitive. So, I mean, this is only going to contribute to that success moving forward. Let's go over to the basketball tournament, the TBT. 
Um, and I know we have a lot of thoughts. So Ben, Trevor, I didn't personally watch this, but you guys did. So I'm gonna just let you guys go. Ben, why don't you start us off? What did you What did you pick up from the TVT? Um, you know, restarting. Um, and how moving forward it'll look. Yeah, so I personally, I love the TBT, and I, I like it because I have a rooting interest. Uh, the University of Dayton Flyers have an alumni team called the Red Scare. They are the eight seed this year. Um, so I've been watching it for a couple of years, but I know, I think in general, a lot of people just aren't familiar with this tournament just because it's not a huge name, like a huge brand. Um, and in the summer a lot, I think it kind of gets, it gets uh, like kind of behind the scenes from 4th of July and all these things that happen in the summer. The, the MLB All-Star Games around this time. So I just think, and it's a very short tournament, only lasts a couple of weeks. So I think a lot of times people just aren't that into it. But I think this year it has a little bit more attention just because it's the first time we've seen live basketball since March. Um, but it, like watching it, it is like it's hard. It's hard not to notice how amazing these players are. Like this is some really good talent. Pretty much every player in this is playing. Either they played in the NBA, they they were playing the G League, or they're playing overseas currently, or they just left college. Um, usually from pretty good programs. Um, so the the amount of talent in this tournament is insane, and like the team, the, some of these teams are really good. Um, so if you're a fan of basketball, there's really no reason why you shouldn't be watching it. One, it's live, and we haven't seen live basketball in forever, um, and it's just it's really good talent, and it's it's interesting because it's winner take all, single elimination, uh, winning team gets one million dollars, and it's very interesting to kind of see how they're doing a they they had to do this whole bubble thing. Um, and I know they talked about on the broadcast yesterday I was watching how the NBA really is taking notes and kind of studying how this bubble is working for them. Obviously, this is only this tournament only lasts two weeks, and the NBA is going to be for multiple months. But it's still very interesting to kind of see what works and what doesn't work in this bubble that the TBT is doing right now. Um, I am a little salty because originally before this whole pandemic happened, the, uh, the championship and semifinals were supposed to be um, at the University of Dayton. It is no longer there. It's in Columbus. So I'm a little salty about that because, honestly, I probably would have gone to one of those games if I could have this summer. Um, but uh, it's still – it's very interesting. If you're a fan of basketball, I highly recommend at least watching a little bit of it because it is – it's very good basketball, very good talent, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, so the TBT is something that um, I, I've watched a little bit in the past couple years, but I'm definitely more into it than I ever have been before because – um, we, we haven't had basketball since March, so I'm, I'm really into it right now. I've, I've been eager to watch basketball. So it started yesterday. It's going from uh, – started July 4th yesterday, and it's uh, the f- championship is on July 14th, so about 11-day event, 10-day event. Um, and it has some good players. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, the winner takes a um, million dollars home. Um, usually it's two million, but they decreased the total amount to one million for this year. And there's some good players, you know, like Joe Johnson's probably the biggest name that listeners probably will know, obviously, from playing on the Atlanta Hawks and Brooklyn Nets. He's the biggest name. He plays with overseas elite, which is the two seed. Um, this whole tournament has 24 teams, and then they seeded the teams based on like previous games. So like overseas elite, they're a really good program with um, a really, really good team with Joe Johnson. They have Dwight Bikes a former Milwaukee Buck, so they're a two seed. And then the one seed is Carmen's Crew, which is comprised of mainly Ohio State alumni. So any Ohio State fans listening, you can go and watch Aaron Kraft, William Buford, John Diebler, some of these guys, Dallas Lauderdale, that you you know got to watch in like the early 2010s. Solon alum. Went to Solon High That's School. That's true, yes. And, and there's just so many other players. Like we had yesterday, we had Mike Dom, who uh, former South Dakota State Jackrabbit, was known for putting up huge numbers a few years ago in college. Um, he, he played yesterday and played very well. And we had even like Nick Ward for Michigan State Spartan. I know you don't like him, Brandon, but he's also from no, around the, uh, <laughs> the Columbus, Cincinnati area and then had a successful college career. So, yeah, there's a lot of good players that play overseas, some players in like Spain, uh, you know, in other leagues, some players in the G League. So it's, it's really interesting, and um, I, I definitely would recommend watching. Even if you just are an Ohio State fan and want to watch them play, I believe their first game is going to be Wednesday, July 8th at 4 p.m. So they will play the winner of um, – or no, they, they, they're going to play House of Pain, which is Mike Dom's team. So I would encourage you guys, if you're basketball fans, to watch this because it's a good event. It's high-quality basketball. Yeah, no, it's it's – it's going to be interesting to watch. I, I do want to watch moving forward. I have not watched the games yesterday, and I think there are some games today, pretty much every day through the 14th, I think, except uh, July 13th. Um, they get a little bit of break before the championship. But I think it'll be a very interesting tournament. I think it'll be uh, fun to watch. But, Ben, you talked a little bit about uh, a bubble because, you know, these teams got to be in you know kind of the bubble uh, because of the virus. And we've heard some rumors about a second bubble for the NBA for the teams that did not make it um, to the, the first bubble in Orlando. 
Uh, so Trevor, I want to hear some of your thoughts on this uh, the second bubble idea. Yeah, so um, I think it's it's tough because these teams really, these NBA teams, really don't have a ton to play for. It, I guess the, the case is really that they want to stay in shape. They want to... Um, you know, have like these kind of training camps so they can get ready for the next season so they're not completely like, you know, because if they don't have it, then they would go, you know, whatever, 10 months without playing basketball or something potentially or, or somewhere around there. So that's why they want to do it. I don't really, I, I don't know. If they don't have anything to play for, obviously we have a lot of, you know, uh, obviously the coronavirus is still a threat um, and, you know, I, I don't know. It seems like a, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I mean, like the teams that are currently playing for a championship, I mean, they're playing for a championship. They're playing for the ultimate goal, the the trophy. So it makes a little bit more sense there. But these teams, I don't know. There's not as much. It doesn't make quite as much sense to me. Um, but we will see what happens. I mean, if they if they make it happen, I mean, Chicago is one of the, I think, the main location they're talking about, and they do it in a bubble. If they get it really safe, then, you know, I guess. But I, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of this, to be honest with you. I, I 100% agree. I won't go into too much detail or super over on small talk. I, you know, I'm just going to kind of continuation of what you said. I don't understand this. I don't know what the point of it, you know, it's going to be. If they're playing for a pick, then, okay, I'm cool with it. But I don't understand the point. Um, that's kind of where it loses me there. Ben, any quick thoughts on on the second bubble? Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat as you guys. I, like Trevor said, I don't. If there's no point to it, I don't even know what the motivation for the players would be. Like, I know, I think it was Steve Kerr came out and said like a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, he's like, if if I'm if we're not gonna play for a championship, which they're not, he's like, I don't really want to. Like, what's the point of playing anyway? Um, so exactly. they, if there's no motivation for these players, why take the risk of even playing? So um, I, I'm not, same mm-hmm. boat as you guys. I don't. We'll see. But I don't. I don't know. Yeah, you know, we'll see, you know, kind of how it pans out. I don't personally think it'll actually happen, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see to be determined there. Um, But to finish up Small Talk today, as we are way over on time, we have, of course, Small Talk Trivia, um, everyone's favorite segment. Trevor, what is the current leaderboard? Uh, We are tied up at 29. 29 apiece. We've been doing this for a while. We might have to reset it soon. Um, You know, maybe hit a number and say that'll be it. But for today's questions, Trevor, uh, would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Um, I'll go first today. Um, Sounds good. I have an interesting question that I found. Not sure if you're going to get it or not. But the question is, who is the only coach to win both an NCAA title and an NBA title? There's only one coach to have ever done this. Um, So that is my question. Okay, um, so I think I know the answer. Uh, I'm like almost 100% sure I know the answer, but now I'm second-guessing myself. I think it's, I'm pretty sure uh, Larry Brown did. I'm pretty sure. Um, also, side note, he, he is a Jewish coach. I should mention that also. I believe he's Jewish. Um, I'll have to look up on Wikipedia after. I'm almost 100% sure he's Jewish. And I think he's in the Hall of Fame, too. I'm going to go with Larry Brown because that's... I'm pretty sure I've seen this before somewhere, and I'm almost 100% sure it is Larry Brown. I, I don't know who he won with it in... Uh, I mean, he coached it... Uh, I don't even remember. I'm pretty sure it's Larry Brown. I'm just going to go with Larry Brown. It's my gut feeling. Uh, and, you know, make this nice, sweet, and short. I think it's Larry Brown. Okay, so you are correct. It is Larry Brown. Oh, let's go. Um, he won the NCAA championship with Kansas? Kansas, yes, in 1988. Yeah, I thought it was Kansas. And then 16 years later, he won an NBA title with the Pistons in 2004. Gotcha. Okay, hey, I'll take my point. I was pretty sure it's my gut gut feeling. I, 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 you know, shout out to Larry Brown for that. I'll take my point. Okay, so I have, I, I think I have a good question for you today, Trevor. Um, you know, we, as a, a short person, you know, I admire rebounders because it's not something I'm normally used to. So I, I thought I'd ask you an NBA rebounding question today. So what player is similar to a question I've asked recently, actually. Uh, he said, what player has had the most consecutive seasons leading the league in total rebounds? So they led the league consecutive seasons. What player has the most consecutive seasons leading the league in total rebounds? Total rebounds, not rebounds per game. Okay. Um, yeah, not rebounds per and game. And this has to be consecutive. Which I guess, I guess, uh, oh, no, that wouldn't be the same. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. Most consecutive seasons leading the league in total rebounds. All right. So, some of the best rebounds, some of the best rebounders ever 
are obviously like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Shaq and Karl Malone and Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell. Those are some of the biggest names. Tim Duncan. Um, so I'm trying to think. Most consecutive years where they led the league mm-hmm. in total rebounds. Okay, so if if it would have happened back in the 50s or 60s, Wilt and Bill Russell probably would have like stolen years from like like it would have been harder for either one of them to go consecutive because they're competing against each other for most total rebounds um you also have yeah so then you have kareem in the 70s who he might have had a decent amount in the 70s he definitely had a lot of rebounds um if it's in the 80s kareem also could be up there charles barkley comes in the league in the later 80s so Mm-hmm. He definitely had. I'll, a get, I'll give you a small clue. I'll give you a small clue. You may or may not have already named the player. I may or may. So I, I probably have. Okay, <laughs> okay. Um, you could have. You could have. It's possible. It's. It also might not be possible. I'm just stating a fact here that there, there are players in the NBA, and you could have named <laughs> the one that it is, or you could. I not may have. or may not. Okay, I'm taking that as I have. Okay, so. Uh, I wouldn't take it as anything. I'm just saying you may or may not. All right. Have. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, there would have been a lot of competition, even more so than in the 60s, because there's a lot of great rebounding bigs. This was like the era where there's so many great big men, Hakeem, Barkley, uh, Kareem, but late that's later in his career, and then like Hakeem, David Robinson, there's a lot of great ones. So they would have been like taking from each other, so that would have been more difficult. Um, and then the 2000s, yeah, you get Duncan, but then you're getting Dwight Howard later in the 2000s. Man, um, I think Kareem is definitely a strong candidate in the 70s for sure. And I think that Russell and Wilt could have done it, potentially, even though they would have been taking it away from each other. But I'm going to go with my gut here, and I'm going to say that it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That's my final answer. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, final answer. It's, that's that's all you got. Or wait, wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Um, All right, taking it back. Rod, Rodman also had some. Rodman also had some, but I don't know if how many were consecutive. I just know he like he averaged 18 rebounds in the season, which is crazy. But again, it's he's competing against so many other guys. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with Kareem. I'll go Kareem. All right, Ben, do you have a guess? Any guesses from you? It's tough. I I recently I would say I would I was thinking maybe even Kevin Garnett, but I feel like I would know that. Um, I I would guess Rodman. I don't have a lot to guess on other than I watched the last dance and he was a monster on the board so i would probably guess dennis rodman so none of you are right i haven't even heard this player's name uh so in third place we have andre drummond well i guess he's tied for second okay um and he's you know led the league uh consecutive seasons with total rebounds then and that's with four then will chamberlain did four twice there was a year in between where he did not get it so he almost had nine straight seasons of leading the league in total rebounds, but the player who it was is Dwight Howard with five seasons from 2005-2006 all the way to 2009-2010. Oh, he... Leading the wow. league in total rebounds. He was rebounds. doing it that Dwight early. Howard is the correct answer. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, what's the score now? 29-28? 30-29. to You are leading. 30-29. to Alright. I regain the lead here. as It has been a dominant second half performance. What? Uh, in small talk trivia. Dominant. We've been we've been say, neck and neck for for the past like two months. I was months. down like seven. Yeah, Brandon, calm down. I wouldn't I was say down dominant. Like yeah, seven. but we've been we've been neck and neck for the past like month or so at least. <laughs> that that is true. So let's let's keep on moving along because we have a, a nice randomly ranked today. Um, so randomly ranked, we we always come up with different segments um, uh, that we think are fun. I, I think this one will be an enjoyable one. Don't you guys think? Yeah, yeah for sure, definitely. So today we are going to be doing the top three favorite meats okay so you know we got we got uh burgers hot dogs pork steak bacon i mean a ton of different meats so we're going to do our top three favorites ben i'm gonna let you go first okay i'm gonna let you go first today what are your top three favorite meats? yeah of course so first i'm gonna start with an honorable mention and the only reason i'm saying this as an honorable mention is um i was on vacation oh, it was probably in high school um i was with our family our family and our family friends go on vacation every year and my friend johnny shout out johnny a listener of the small baller podcast hopefully he's listening he ordered Shout out to you, Johnny. He, at a restaurant. He ordered alligator one time, and I was like, eh, "I'll Ooh. try it." And honestly, it just tasted like a chewy steak. 
Um, it's not one of my favorite, but I just thought it was interesting that I could say I've had alligator before because I feel like not a lot of people, especially around here, have eaten alligator before. Um, All right, weird flex, but keep it's on going. Kind of, it's, it's kind of a soft flex, but it is what it is. Um, number three, I'll, I'll go with ground beef. Uh, you can't go wrong. I, I don't love tacos, but I like them. They're fine. I love burgers. Uh, I could eat a burger every day of my life, and I'd be cool with it. Um, I, ground beef is number three. Just just a solid meat all around. You, you can do a whole lot with it. So uh, you can't you can't be upset with ground beef. My, now, I agree. Now, my number two and my number one are close. But my number two, I put I okay. put steak at my number two. And the reason I put steak at my number two is I love steak. I think quality-wise, it's probably the best meat. But it's not my favorite meat yeah. because I don't think I could eat steak every single day of my life if I had to. And my number one, I think I could. My number one is chicken. And the reason I... Okay. Kind of like what I just said. I think if I had to, I could eat chicken every single day of my life, and I'd be fine with it. Steak, I feel like I would get tired of after a while. And there's many different kinds of steak, as there are many different ty- kinds of chicken. Um, and steak is definitely better quality. But I just think, for me personally, I'd rather have chicken most days than steak. Steak, I'm feeling every once in a while, and it's delicious when I have it. But it's not something that I want all the time. Chicken, I always want. There's not a, a second that goes by in my day where I could not go for some either some chicken wings or some tenders or some nugs. Um, so that is why chicken is my number one. You know, I don't think that's a bad list. Uh, I'm going to mess it up a little bit, though. So here's my list. I do have an honorable mention. I'm going to go with burgers, not ground beef, because I don't like ground beef tacos that much. I do love burgers, and obviously ground beef is, you know, it's, that's what a burger is pretty much. So my honorable mention is going to be burgers. At number three, I have what I consider a delicacy to the world, and that is bacon. Bacon can be thrown on anything and instantly improves the meal. Now, we do here, among us on this podcast, have someone who does not like bacon, and that is, of course, our favorite contributor, Ben O'Brien. He does not enjoy bacon, which I think is wild. Okay? But that's a conversation for another day. At number two, I put chicken. I love chicken. Chicken's really, really enjoyable. Kind of, I feel like, the go-to meat. It's not super expensive, um, and it's really solid. There's a lot of ways you can make it. So chicken, I have at number two. Number one, I disagree with you, Ben. I could have this meat every single day for probably every single meal, and it would be steak. Steak is so good. It is probably my favorite food. I think I've talked extensively on this podcast about it. Um, I just don't think you can go wrong with a nice steak. Uh, medium rare. Let it, you know, still be breathing a little bit. Uh, it's so, so good. I, I, I love steak. Trevor, what are, what are your top three? All right. So I'm starting off with number three, and we had a little – we were talking about whether or not um, this was actually a meat, um, which which was interesting. But I have fish at number three. I think it's definitely a meat. I I just have always considered meat, and fish is so good. Um, you know, just like when I think about like some of my favorite restaurants, like, and I go and get fish, just like when I was a kid, and yeah, fish is great. I could have said like other kinds of seafood too, but I'm going with fish because you know it's it's pretty versatile. There's different, um, there's many different kinds of good fish. So number two, I'm going with turkey. Um, I also love turkey. And it's pretty easily my favorite lunch meat when I'm making like sandwiches. I usually definitely have, the best lunch. Meat. I usually have turkey, um, and also on Thanksgiving, obviously turkey is amazing. So turkey's number two, and number one, I gotta go with chicken. I mean, it's it's really easy, honestly. Chicken is so versatile. You can have it um, with with so many different things. It's also cheaper than steak, which is another plus, and it's it it's just so good. It's you can't go wrong with chicken. So it seems like we universally very much enjoy chicken on this channel, um, which I feel like is a good thing. Chick- chicken is very, very solid. So let's let's keep on moving along. We have our main topic for today, uh, which I think is going to be an interesting one. Is you know we don't have a lot of sports, so we're coming up with different topics. And the, the one today, I'll actually let Trevor introduce it because it was his topic to start off. Um, so Trevor, why don't, why don't you uh, tell the people about the topic? Yeah. So um, in the NBA, we were having a conversation before the podcast about like how super teams have kind of evolved and how the loyalty of players has kind of evolved and things like that. So if you think about super teams, obviously many people have different definitions as, as we were talking about and we we're going to talk about here. Um, like, do you consider super teams as only through free agency? Can trades be involved? Um, or, or can just building through draft be a super team? I don't really think so, but we were just having a conversation about how that's involved. And you obviously have... 
like people from older generations reacting to super teams and kind of, you know, they say they don't like it. You know, you'll have older players from the 90s and 80s say things like, well, I never would have joined up with a team that just beat me as Kevin Durant did in 2017 and things like that. So it's really interesting how this has evolved and how it's become pretty popular now. I think like the Celtics in the late 2000s and then with LeBron joining Miami with D-Wade Chris Bosh and then Durant joining the Warriors, even though the Warriors originally were built around the draft. So it's, it's, Really interesting how it's evolved, so we're just going to kind of have a conversation about that. Yeah, and I, I think first, let's. I want us all to put our definitions of super teams out there because we, before the podcast when we were talking, we all have slightly different definitions. Personally, my definition of a super team, you, you can't build a super team in the draft. It's not just having a lot of good players. If you draft well, that's not. I don't think that should be considered a super team. That's a dominant team and a really good one, probably, if that. I think a super team is a team that you manually have to go out and find, meaning you go out uh, in free agency and sign all those players to whatever contract. So LeBron's Miami Heat, that's a super team to me. Okay, That's a team. Those three players, they went out. Uh, obviously, D-Wade, they drafted and stuff, um, but they went out and got you know a majority of their key players from free agency. So that, to me, would be considered a super team. So Ben, I know you have a slightly different definition, so let's kind of hear your thought process on it. Yeah, so to me, a super team can be a team that was players that were all drafted by that organization because to me a super team is a team that was dominant and it really has to have in my opinion a su- to be a super team and kind of the super teams that we've thought of recently typically it has at least three players that you would consider all-stars or like hall of future hall of famers um like and especially now in the nba like this year we see a lot of teams that have two but like we wouldn't call the lakers a super team this year because they have lebron and ad um but teams typically i'd say that have three or more all-star caliber players or even hall of F- future hall of fame players um it's kind of how I view a super team. Really, it's just a team that was dominant for multiple years. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be one of the greatest basketball teams of all time to be a super team. I think there are plenty of teams that I would consider super teams that were great, but they weren't one of the greatest teams ever. Um, so it, it really it just depends on how you view it. And the, the way I view it is just really a team that was dominant for an extended period of time. Trevor, let's, let's hear your definition before, because I think this is important just to cover. Yeah, so I actually I found this article, and I kind of like how um, this writer laid it out. So this person said... Well, name the writer. Let's give him credit. Who's um, the writer? This is Steve Oshburner. This was an article I found on NBA.com from August 24th, okay. 2017. I was reading this article. It's pretty interesting. Um, so he laid it out, and I think this is a pretty good way of laying out, because I don't necessarily care about the definition. I just would like... Um, whatever the definition is, let's be consistent. So, uh, Steve said that a super team boasts two, three, or more stars on its roster, any one of whom would be able to anchor a franchise on his own. Um, the second point was trades and slash or free agency had to have been used uh, to unite those stars, either in their prime or at least after um, recognized success. The team needs to be a reasonable contender, not merely a, con- a collection of big names past their prime and far back of the reigning Conference of League champs. And he said there's bonus points if media outlets have carried one or more stories about the alleged super team. This one's a little less important, but the, the three uh, main ones, I think, laid it out pretty well. Yeah, I actually think that's a good combination of what Ben and I just talked about. Because um, I, I think that kind of pieces it together well. I, maybe, Ben, you disagree a little bit more. But I think that is a pretty good definition of what a super team is and combines kind of both of the viewpoints. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, like, I, I guess, like, looking back, it's really interesting because, you know, a lot of these players, um, as I mentioned before, like, they kind of don't like these super teams now when in reality, and I think it's it's evolved, there's more super teams lately, like in the 21st century, there's more uh, super teams than there were before that. However, I think there are still some super teams. For example, you look at like the late 60s Lakers that had Wilt Chamberlain, Jerry West, and Elgin Baylor, who Wilt Chamberlain um, was not drafted by the Lakers, you know, they, they acquired him. So I, I think that would have to be considered a super team, and they were very successful. They, they did... Um, they did only get, um, or actually they didn't win a ring with that super team. They lost in the finals twice, but they did not win a ring. So just thinking about like that team, and then you have like even the Bucks of the early '70s with Kareem and Oscar. This one's a little, uh, this one's a little tougher. I think it's maybe borderline, but it's interesting just you know looking at some of these other teams that were put together um, from previous. Even if you look at the '80s Celtics, which had, which wasn't completely. 
uh, comprised from draft picks. And then, like, the 90s Rockets, um, which really a lot of those players were past their primes. Hakeem, Clyde, Charles, and Scotty. It was later in their careers. But um, that one was interesting as well. Yeah, I, I think, in my opinion, I talked about this before, we have not, I kind of disagree with that. I don't think there's been a lot of true super teams over time. I mean, you look at the Celtics, uh, the the mid to late 2000s, whenever they were with uh, Garnett, Pierce, and uh, Allen. That's definitely a super team to me. And you look at the Heat, that's definitely a super team. But I think like people get caught up in what a super team is. And in my opinion, I don't believe just put, you know, having a ton of stars on a team. If you drafted them, I wouldn't consider that a super team. You know, you look at, you know, we can consider a lot of things a super team by those standards. Um, you know, if you look at, like, the Warriors with Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant's the only player that wasn't naturally gotten from a draft. They drafted well and built good pieces around that, got good contracts on these players so they were able to get a Kevin Durant. I don't consider that a super team, even though it's this, you know, by far amazing team that was super overpowered. You know, it was not this, you know, team that was built from trades and free agency. They had, of course, the best player on the team was from there, but they had, I mean, Steph Curry was, you know, an MVP at that point. You know, there, there was other great players on this team. So I, I think it's it's tough. We're, defining it is so important because then I think it, it's, you know, it changes the narrative a little bit. Um, so to me, I truly have not seen as many super teams, you know, true super teams. There's definitely teams that I think are really, really great that, you know, were made for free agency. I guess another one we could consider this one would be the the Cavs for that five year run 2014 or four year run for 2014 till LeBron left and Kyrie left, um, but you know I think we really haven't had that many and I, you know I I know we're gonna get into this but there's a whole talk about loyalty and how it's different now, um, but you know I don't really think that's the case. What do you what do you think, Ben? Yeah, so I think it's interesting that you do not consider the 2017 Warriors as a super team because I would 100% consider them a super team. And I get what you're saying. Kevin Durant was the only one that wasn't drafted by them. They built that team from the ground up. I get it. But I'm going to get a little technical here. I looked up the definition of the word super, and it basically means very good, excellent, or pleasant. So you're telling me that a super team is not a team that's excellent. That Warriors team is probably the greatest basketball team of all time. So you're telling me that you do not consider them a super team just because they built that team from the ground up for the most part. In, in that case, I would just reword super team. Then that, that, it's just not the right definition for it. To, but the way that like the term has been coined and the way that the term has been said does not just mean a dominant team. You know, Similar to what the article just said, where there had to be a factor of three or more players and there was a trades and free agency involved to get at least a majority of those players. That's kind of how I defined it. At least a majority of your starters. When three of your four players were drafted into the team and brought in like that, and even like their fifth player, you put Harrison Barnes in there. He was drafted. So I think, you know, you look at these players that they, they brought in. I, that's why I don't consider it a super team. There's one out of their five starters um, that were not brought in specifically, you know, to play together until, you know, obviously, I mean, obviously they want to win, but specifically, you know, these huge stars that were brought in together. So that's why I wouldn't consider If you're looking up like the breaking down the word definition super team, then we could rename it. You know, if that's what, you know, we want to do. But I, I don't think it necessarily needs to go that far. It's just, in my opinion, the definition itself changes because I don't believe it is just putting good players together. I mean, if you draft well, you look at the Thunder, you know, the the Thunder with uh, Durant, Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, and uh, uh, James Harden. I mean, that team was all drafted, and I, I don't think anyone necessarily considers that a super team. I mean, maybe they do, but I don't believe they do. So I think it's, it, it's very definition-based. Um, you know, if you're going to break down the word, then yes, I agree with you. We have to change the term then at that point. Uh, what, what, what do you think, Trevor? Yeah, so I, I don't necessarily care what your definition is. You can have whatever your own definition is. But just like uh, say what your definition is and then based on that, be consistent with what you're saying your definition is. So that's all I really care about. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard for me not to consider the Warriors a super team just because um, before Kevin Durant, they weren't. But when they added Kevin Durant, to me they were because you have um, two different stars that weren't drafted on that same team. So like Steph and KD, they were drafted on the different teams. They come together. To me, that forms a super team. But again, it's you know, or I I don't think arguing about whether it's a super team or not is that important. I think it's just interesting, you know, to think about how like someone like Kevin Durant does this. You know, when LeBron makes his decision to go play with D Wade and um. Chris Bosch instead of staying with their team and trying to win and I think 
because I think players in the 90s and 80s didn't necessarily do that quite as much. I think some of them still did it, but it seems to have evolved, and I think it happens more often, and I think players are more okay with it because they, I think they really prioritize winning maybe a little bit more, or or maybe it's just become a little more natural because you have, like, the Celtics, and I think LeBron more so, you know, setting the standard that, that really makes it okay for someone like a Kevin Durant to then follow suit and do something similar. So here's the thing. First of all, you said Curry did get drafted by the Warriors. He, he wasn't drafted by that. He's played on the Warriors his whole career. Yeah. So I... Again, it was just one player that was brought in from free agency compared to the other three stars they had. So if you want to define a super dominant team as a super team, then yes, you're correct. But that's not what I believe that the term has actually been coined as. Okay. For the other thing about kind of loyalty, I think there's a lot to speak on this. If you look at players, people say that there's not as much loyalty in the NBA anymore. And I think if you're LeBron James and Kevin Durant, you're in a different position. When you have a big max contract that you're able to sign and stay with your current team— a majority of players are still taking that. You look at Jamal Murray. He still took his contract. He didn't leave to go try to be with a team, take you know $50 million less dollars. Um, and there's more players like that. I, I think that they're, Kevin Durant and LeBron James make so much money off the court with the money is not a factor. And then in that sense, they can take less money and go try to win. And I gave the analogy before this. You know, if, if Trevor, if money was not an object to you, you would do whatever you want with your life. You would go, if you want to go to a water park on a Monday morning, you would. If you want to build us a podcast studio, you would. So I think anyone in that situation would go try to be in a more winnable situation. So with the loyalty thing, I think there's very, very few players who can truly go and do what they want. Most players, I, I guess, let me rephrase, go and do, you know, and try to be on a winning team. They're, most players are going to take the more money, and we've seen that. I think over time, most players do still take their bird rights deal um, at the end of their rookie deal um, and, you know, get that extension and move forward. You look at Damian Lillard, he did that. Um, CJ McCollum did that. Um, and you look at players over time, they, they, they did that. Even in recent years, we've seen players go on and stay with their teams. Uh, we've heard uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo say that he doesn't want to play for another team. He's staying on the Bucks. He'll have his deal extended and he'll stay on the Bucks. So I think the loyalty thing, with the exception of LeBron and KD, I, I don't think this has really happened. And while LeBron did try to go you know, create his own super team, and I think KD did do a weak move kind of and go uh, you know, to the Warriors um, after you know, being beaten by them, I, I still don't think there's a loyalty issue in the NBA. I think most players would still stay and keep their bird rights money and, you know, make that, if they're getting a super max, make 30 or 40, you know, maybe even 50 million more by staying with their team. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that it's not necessarily that um, in general players are not loyal at all and they were very loyal. It's not like that black and white. It's more of like a gray area. I think it's like just progressed more towards being less loyal and I don't have any problem with that at all actually I don't I don't care if players are are going and joining up with a team just to win um I mean there's a part of me that I, I guess to some extent I actually let me take that back I do care a little bit if that team becomes super dominant and then the league there's less competition so like what happened with Kevin Durant and the Warriors because from that point forward, there really wasn't any team that had a chance of beating them. So from that perspective, I have a little problem with it. But generally speaking, I don't um, when their goal is, is to win, and that's what they're prioritizing. Um, because like if you look at like some of the best players from the older eras compared to now, so like Michael Jordan, um, yeah, he was a wizard in the last couple of years, but for, basically, for the most part, he was a he was loyal to the Bulls, and he wanted to stay with the Bulls for his whole career, and he didn't just leave when they lost to the Pistons, um, whereas LeBron did. He did leave the Cavs, and again, like I said before, I have no problem with it. I don't care that he left. It doesn't make me think any less of him, like, because some people do think less of him because I don't care. I'm just saying that it's a little bit different now, whereas we're seeing more players. Kevin Durant, another one, whereas like Larry Bird, he stayed with the Celtics um, until they won, and they had they had more successful pieces around him. But nevertheless, like I just think there's been a little bit of a shift. Not like it's completely different, just more of a shift towards that. And um, I, again, I don't care about it. I actually prefer it. I think it makes um, the league more interesting that we have players. Um, going to different teams and we get to see different like combinations of teammates. I actually prefer it. Yeah, I, I, I can see what you mean by a shift, but the shift is so minimal to me. It's, it's really just these two players that have done this in recent time. I mean, within the past five to ten years. Quite Leonard did it. I, I truly believe it's just... 
Sorry. Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard did it too. I mean, there's there's more than two. I, I think for sure. Kawhi's a, a little tougher because Kawhi Kawhi got traded out and he wanted to go to San Antonio and then he 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 left the Raptors after being traded when his bird rights deal was not eligible. So I think the money difference was not as big um, to be able to you know go somewhere else even after winning. I I think you make a good argument. There's a good argument about Kawhi, but he got traded in a situation that he did not want to be in. I mean, he literally didn't play a whole season. Said he was injured just because he didn't want to be in San Antonio. And I think um, you look at some other players and. Uh, they're similar. I forget the other players we mentioned that got traded. Oh, yeah, Anthony Davis. Anthony he, Davis. He wanted out of New Orleans and got traded out. Because, yeah, because um, they weren't winning. Obviously, he's in the last year of his deal. And we'll see what they do. Um, we'll see what he does after this year. But I, I think Kawhi's a little bit different because it wasn't through free agency. He had a little bit less control where he got traded. So, I mean, maybe it wasn't about losing to him. He just didn't want to be in Toronto. He wanted to move back home to California. So, I think... Um, you know, loyalty might not be the whole issue. We've seen players throughout time go home to different places. So I think I think you have a good argument with Kawhi, but I think there's good counter arguments to it. All right, Ben, what do you think about uh, this conversation? <laughs> yeah. So um, honestly, I'm kind of with Trevor, where like I I see the loyalty issue, but at the same time, I don't even care that much because, like Trevor said, I like when these players switch different teams. I think it's fun. And here's the thing. How like how much fun is it to watch every July the NBA free agency? It's like a it's like a its own event every July. Yep. I think it's fun. I actually have I really have no problem with it. Obviously, there's certain players I like to stay with. Other players like I, I liked Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant together. I think they were fun to watch, um, especially when they were going at the Warriors. But um, I really like I don't even I don't have a huge issue issue with it just because it's kind of fun to see these different combos um, of people switching and. The way the NBA is, they're all friends now. The NBA is, they're all so close, and they always call it a brotherhood where they're always trying to play with each other. I, I have no problem with that. I really think it's helped the game grow. I mean, just look at the last 10 years, how much the NBA has grown worldwide. And I think uh, part of it is because these players are teaming up with other players to form these really uh, dominant teams that are worldwide uh, powers and that people are watching around the world. So um, I really have no, I have no problem with it. I know it bothers a lot of people, but maybe that's just me being a LeBron fan and he left Cleveland and went back, then left Cleveland again, went to – uh, the Lakers, but I really I don't have a huge problem with it. It is what it is. Yeah, I think it's definitely an interesting discussion as a whole uh, discuss. But you know, I think we'll we'll kind of leave it there. Is there. Any last thoughts you want to put out there, Trevor, uh, before we end the episode today? Yeah, um, I guess just like Ben talked about, he kind of brought up like you know players are friends more often now, and I think they were still friends in the nineties and maybe it's a little bit of a misconception. Um, I would, maybe they're more so friends today. So like, I think that's another point where the older generation's critical of today's players. Cause they say, Oh, they're all friendly now. And you know, stuff like that. But it's not like they're letting their friend win against them in like an NBA finals game or anything like that. Like they're still competing just as hard as they did in the nineties and eighties. So I don't like when people say that either. Yeah. And I will say the competitiveness is still there. I think first of all, the ability of, Players are able to to uh, communicate with other players easily now it's yeah. through social media, exactly. through other things. They're closer off the court. On the court, they're still. I mean, LeBron. LeBron's not going to let anybody win over him if he has something yeah. to say about it. And most NBA players are like that. So um, off the court, they're. Cl- I'd say they're closer just because they have the ability to be closer. Um, but on the court, I think the competitiveness is just as high as it was. 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, like you look at Russell Westbrook and Damian Lillard when they played each other in the playoffs, like how they were going each other, going at each other, but they're actually like good friends. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. I I, I think all of that is good points. Um, but I think we will we'll end the episode here for today because I, I think we we ended on a really great discussion and we hope you guys enjoy it. Um, but that'll be it for today. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, we, we hope you guys enjoyed. Um, go hit the links in the description. Go follow our Twitter and our Twitch. We will be streaming on Monday for Josh's Soccer Show and this coming Thursday um, night for our Big Brother little you know viewing show uh, from Big Brother 7 All-Stars. Um, so yeah, go follow our Twitch. We'll be streaming a lot on there. And go follow our Twitter. That's where you'll be able to get all the information about all the podcasts um, that are through the, our, you know, our overall brand, The Small Ballers. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, thank you all so much for listening. Go subscribe to the episode. Leave a review, comment. Um, And we'll see you guys next time. Go Falcons!